All right, good. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to teach, if you, if you uh, are new, what we're doing is we're going through a summer series called Nuts and Bolts. It's something that we've always done. Um, I was just thinking of the Furmans being here for this week, you know, they've gone through, I don't know how many of these things uh, with us every summer. And so, you know, you're going to hear something you've heard a million times. Um, and we're all kind of, each pastor's taking a different subject and kind of running that subject out over four weeks worth of sermons. Um, and so uh, I'm bringing you what I'm going to be preaching on uh, for the next uh, four sermons. Um, and it's a subject that, um, that I don't think we like very much. It's not fire and brimstone, but um, I, don't, I don't think it's something that we like very much, that we're not very comfortable with, um, that a lot of us have a hard time with, um, maybe that we're even, we even fear, uh, that we're even scared of, um, something that most of us probably aren't very good at. Um, you can probably guess right now, some of you, what this is. Um, most of us write this thing off. We write this subject off because we assume or hope that somebody else is going to do it. Um, so uh, we don't have to do it. And, and because the majority of us think this way, we tend to view this thing as optional or um, kind of like an unnecessary even part of our lives, of our Christian lives, rather than a God-given privilege and responsibility, um, which is exactly what it is. This subject is evangelism. Uh, if you don't like the word, then call it kingdom building. Call it witnessing. Go ahead and call it something else. But this is what we're going to be talking about. Um, and I want to start off by making sure that you guys know that I am not teaching this because I'm an expert on it, because I'm not. Um, this is not something uh, that I'm very good at. Um, I'm an ordinary Christian just like you with the same fears and preferences and inadequacies and challenges as you have. But I'm preaching on this because over the years, the more that I've read my Bible and listened to the teachings of Jesus and learned about this thing that we call the church, I have become more fully convinced that this is why we exist on earth. This is why the church is here. You've heard me say it um, many times before, and I'm going to say it again. We are not primarily here on earth to do what we're doing here today. To hear the word, to send under the teaching. You know why? Because you're going to be the, in the presence of the word, capital W, throughout eternity. Right? We're not here primarily to sing songs together and lift our voices because that people is going to be insanely rad when we get to heaven. We are going to be doing that thing a million times better throughout eternity in our Father's throne room. Right? Like, like, if you think about it, all the things that we come together to do are going to go on better. But the one thing that the church can never do again is share the gospel with somebody who desperately needs it. There will be no need for it then. But there is need for it now. And I believe that this is the reason why you and I, primarily the church exists here on earth. And so uh, over my next four sermons, we're going to be diving into evangelism or witnessing or kingdom building or whatever you want to call it. And by the way, um, I, don't, I, I, I don't want to, um, 
I don't want to put a bunch of rocks in your bag so that you, you walk out of here feeling like a loser of a Christian. You know what I mean? Like we all, all right. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yep. I'm the biggest loser I know. Praise God that we have a Savior who is faithful even when we are not. This whole thing stands on his ability to do what he's accomplishing. I want you to know that for whatever reason, I haven't figured this one out, and maybe someday we will, he's for some reason chosen to do these things he's already going to do through us, imperfect people. It's kind of an odd means, right? So, like, he is going to be victorious. The church will be victorious. It'll all be because of him. But um, I have kind of looked at this thing as, as optional throughout a good portion of my life. And there's points that I have come to over the last 10, 12 years where I've had to repent of just the way that I ignore this thing. Because there's nothing greater that I have to offer anybody in this world than the person and work of Christ for them. And for me to stick it in the trunk of my life and act as if it doesn't exist is weird to me. I can't do it anymore. I've been given so much. And I want you to know the same. You've been given so much by what happened at the cross and what happened in that now empty tomb and the bodily ascended Savior to the right hand of God. So much has been given to you and accomplished. And for us to hold on to it, as if it doesn't matter if someone else gets to know that thing too, it's just bad. And so I want you to repent with me on that today, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Turn with me to John chapter 17. You're like, are you actually going to do something with this? What we have in John 17 is what you and I know as the high priestly prayer. That's what we call it. And it is interesting, not just because it's a, an open dialogue from the Son to the Father, but it's interesting because when we know we're about to die, and when our back is up against the wall, and we know we're about to face a giant, that which matters most tends to come out. Like we don't have much of a problem then getting really honest, and I'm not suggesting that Jesus never was, he always was. But I do believe that in him knowing that he's about to go to the cross, we're seeing a very clear prayer from him to the Father on what matters most to him. And uh, he is at the end. Jesus knows it. He's come to the moment which he was born for, which is to die. And... Uh, so I want us to observe the contents. We're going to, actually, there's the, the, the overarching narrative of this. I think we're going to see clearly. Um, I'm just going to start from the beginning because, um, I mean, just reading scripture um, does more for me than anything that I hear coming out of my mouth. And so uh, let's just enjoy this, and then eventually I'll, I'll stop, all right? Uh, start in verse 1 of chapter 17 of the Gospel of John. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. 
since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Go home and trip out on that one for a little while. Six, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth, in the truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you have sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. 14, I have given them your word, and the, word ha- the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Listen. Fifteen, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Twenty, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me yeah should we close you know (laughs) there's a lot going on here but there is an overarching theme There is a primary narrative, and that is this, that those whom God has given to Jesus have been called out to call out. That's it. They have been chosen through Jesus out of the world to stay in the world to call more people out of the world. That's what's going on here. It can be easy for us to read this passage and think like, yeah, but like this is an apostle thing though, right? Right? Like, this is an apostle thing, and I'm not an apostle, and, um, and, and it is an apostle thing. Uh, but but if you, as you read through it, I think it becomes clear that this is also a church thing, right? Uh, what Jesus is really praying for here, describing here beyond just an apostle thing, is the beginning of the church. He's actually describing here to us the church age, the beginning of the church age, the succession and progression of the church throughout the ages is right here in this prayer. This is what he's praying for, right? The church's mission and purpose. Listen again to verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. That's weird. Have you, have you ever wondered this one? This one bothers me too. Why can't you and I just get saved and then just get raptured? Why can't we just 
Why can't we be fast-passed to glory? Why, why, why do we have to sit here after we get saved and we get born again and we have Christ and we have the forgiveness of sins? Why do I have to sit here and fight my sin? Why do I have to sit here and go through pain and go through loss and go through suffering? Why? This is why, because this is real. That he has, again, chosen us to accomplish that which he's doing. I don't get it. I have a few complaints. But the truth is that this is what he's done. We see this here in this prayer. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, he says to the Father. Why? Because of verse 20. So that those who exist in the world will hear their word and believe also. You know why you and I are, you know why this room is filled today? This succession, right here. Because he has not pulled people out of the world as soon as he saves them, but he leaves them. That's why I am here, and that's why you were here 2,000 years later, is because this prayer is real. This is how the whole deal goes down. This is how it works for whatever reason, right? These guys have been called out to call out. And, and you almost get the idea a little bit of, because uh, the enemy's mentioned, and uh, you got the world, which is a place that Jesus wasn't originally from. And so you almost, you almost get this picture of like, um, that we were like POWs, right? right? Like prisoners of war who were like rescued and, and then released um, from the camp of Satan due to a gospel recon mission, right? Um, by those who were not taken out of the world but left in the world. Um, this is the church. This is the church. Uh, we have a statement in our Bibles, which all of us know very well. We all acknowledge as it, as it being very big, kind of a watershed statement um, in our New Testament scriptures, kind of a mountaintop statement, a jumping off point. It's a mandate for us. It is, it, it is the one that Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew 24, which we refer to as the Great Commission. And what it is, is a very clear, concise statement of the church's marching orders. It is the reason for which we exist on earth. And it starts off by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this is extremely crucial that it starts there. Because this, this mission that he's about to hand off to his church is above their pay grade. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't know how to raise the dead. Spiritually. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how to, I don't know how to give sight to blind people. Spiritually. I don't, I don't know how to approach people who, who in, in every way, at the depths of their heart and being, are opposed to God. And then say something that makes them want him. I don't know how to do that, but praise God that this deal is sure to be victorious because it's dependent on him and his ability. He's over everything. He owns everything in the world. And so he starts off by letting us know, now I know you're going to trip out on what I'm about to say, but let's just start here. Know this. It's all mine. And I'm going to make things happen. Okay. So, so this is like extremely important that he starts here, and then, of course, he goes into it, go therefore. No, because you know this, because you know that I am over all things, I have authority over everything, 
Go. Go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. You see what he does? He bookends it with him making sure it's going to go down well and him making sure it's going to go down well. (laughs) He's over everything and he's everywhere and going to be with us every step of the way in this mission, this mandate that he's given to us. Again, what we have here in a nutshell is the reason why the church exists on earth. You guys are going to get sick of hearing me say that today. That's what we have here. We have been called out to call out. Um, We have been saved to see others saved. I do not believe that this can be disputed. I do believe that it can be ignored. I do believe that this has been my specialty for most of my Christian life. And again, it baffles my mind that I was able to go so many years without paying any attention, not to evangelism itself, people, but to lost people, hell-bound people that I bump elbows with every single day. To add a little bit more conviction to my evangelistic disobedience, there's this guy named Paul, right? The Apostle Paul, he gave us 13 of the 26 books in our New Testament. Two of those 13 books, there's this thing in them that he does um, that bothers me that gnaws at me every single time I read them. Um, And this conviction that I get, this thing that he does, is found both in Ephesians as well as Colossians. And it has to do with where he's writing from. Does anybody know? And then it has to do with what he is there for. Does anybody know? Gospel. And then it has to do with how he ends up asking the church to pray for him. Ephesians 6, 19 through 20, we get to the end of the letter, and he closes with himself. Pray for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, I love you guys, and I'm with you, but for 13, 12 years, usually what we hear in praise and prayer time are not prayers like this. It's usually, and I'm, again, me first, it's usually like, God, get me out of this, right? Like, deliver me from this, whether it's an illness or whether it's a person or whether it's a circumstance, all I can think about is like, you got you got to do something about this. Please get me out of this. We don't see Paul doing this. Listen to Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Same, same thing. Continue steadfastly, he says at the end of the letter to the church there. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear that you may show me how I ought to speak. 
Do you notice what he does not ask for prayer for? Lord, get these guys that put me here. At the, at the very least, pray that God would get me out of this place so that I can have a, a decent meal and a decent shower and be around people that I love and I miss right now. And You know what I mean? Like, it's absent. It's absent from his prayers. Not only is he not praying for those things, he's actually asking that God would allow him to impose the greatest thing that anybody could ever have upon the people that put him there. That's what's going on. He's not saying, God, deliver me, or God, like, pay these dudes back, like, triple fold. You know what I mean? Help me have an opportunity to share the mystery of Jesus Christ with my persecutors right now, with my enemies right now, with these people that are treating me miserably right now. How can you do that? Here's how. Paul is fully and firmly convinced that the reason he is on earth is to call people out of the world. That's how. Believes the scriptures. He believes his purpose. Look, I don't, I don't know about you. I've been a Christian for 30 years, and I don't know how many times like, I've gone through seasons of my life where it's like, what's my purpose? I feel so purposeless. You know what I mean? And I think we always want this like, personal prophecy. We're like, we're like waiting for someone to like, come up to us and be like, ding, and then the light goes on. And we're like, there it is. Now, now, I, now I have meaning. People, this is your meaning. If you're followers of Jesus Christ, if you believe in him and what he's done on your behalf, this is it. There's, there's nothing better or bigger than what he's called us into. And I know it's scary. And I, and I know that it's questionable. And I know that you might lose friends. <laughs> and you might lose family. I get, I get why we don't do it. Let me just put it that way. But what is it for us? to gain the whole world and to lose our soul, right? Those who lose their life will find it, right? And so, and so we get roughed up a little bit for what, 50 years, 60 years, maybe 80 years, 85 years, some of us, however long the Lord lets us live. We get roughed up a little bit and then what, you know? Then what? Paul understood this well. He understood his purpose. He understood his purpose. Um, what are we doing? I think, that, uh, I think that one of the things that scares me most about the door, which is not mine, and so I don't want it to come off that way, um, is the thought of us growing cold and inward, right? Like, I've been to those churches, like, us four no more. You know what I mean? Right? You can even add, like, a third rhyme and be like, lock the door. You know what I mean? Us four no more, lock the door. Uh, like, frozen chosen. Like, I, I've been, I've been in those churches. I've been that guy where it's like, I got my ticket punched, right? And, and then we just grow inward, insular. We lose our love. We lose our mission. 
We lose our purpose. And I think that's one of my, my biggest fears for us is that we would fall into that trap. And, and, and again, I get it. Like, I'm not Paul. I'm not an apostle. I'm not an evangelist. We say all these things to ourselves. And, and, and you may not me, but God, regardless, has called each of us to call out. To not do so then because it's not your strength would be like somebody coming over to your house and asking for a glass of water. And you go, go get it yourself. I don't have the gift of hospitality. (laughs) Right? That would be pretty stupid. I I would hope that none of you would do that. Maybe a couple of you would. I would hope none of you would do. You know, you get them water. Right? How much more this right here? Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Yeah. Wow. Dang. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Now, where in the world does Spurgeon come up with a boldness, like the notion that he can say such a thing to us? That's pretty heavy. That's pretty, that's pretty offensive, right? He gets it from his Bible. He gets it from Jesus, and he gets it from Paul, and he gets it from his epistles. That's what he's reading. That's where his boldness comes from. He knows that the Bible is so clear in its teachings for the church that as Christians, we're either doing what we're here to do or we're tourists. Playing church, playing dress up. It's so easy for us to get distracted, isn't it? Not just individually, but even on a corporate level, like a local church level. So distracted. Distractions are real every single day, multiple times a day, right? Don't get me even started on my prayer life. You know what I mean? I don't know how many times, like, I'll go, I'll go to dig in. Like I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, like, I'm going to the cross right now. I'm going to spend some time with Dad, right? And, and, and 30 seconds in, I, I can find myself going like, hang on a second, I'll be right back. Because, because some thoughts come into my mind that's taken me, you know what I mean, down the road. And I'm just like, hang on, Lord. I'll be, you know, that's how quick it happens. We are distracted all the time over everything. Nobody has to teach us how to be distracted. The problem is when we live in a perpetual state of distraction. I I, I really believe that the American church is here. I really believe we've been here for a long time. Um, In so many ways, on so many levels, we have made the unnecessary, superficial things in the church the important things, while burying the important things underneath the convenience of the unnecessary. And I totally get it due to our perception of what the successful church looks like. I totally understand. Our perception of success tends to be completely wrapped up in two things, appearance and comfort, looks and ease. Our measuring stick of success is wrapped up in its exterior and the preferential, how big the building is, how nice the building is. Right? How nice the things are that fill the building. Even the people. Hold the riffraff. Right? Just the goodies. How many parking spaces we have. How rad and cool and interactive and cutting edge our website is. Our social media, our online presence, our marketing strategies. How many people we have on staff. How funny and culturally relative our pastor is. How many books he's even written. That's a big thing today. How many programs we offer, how big our projected budget is for the coming year, how professional and talented our worship team is, how good the morning spread is, our coffee and our pastries. The list goes on and on and on when we're playing church. 
It doesn't stop. And the problem isn't that some of these things are bad in and of themselves, but that they have become the main thing. That they have become the big thing. If we believe that bigger and prettier and more appealing equals success, equals better, mission accomplished, then we have missed the heart of God's mission and intention and endorsement of actual success for the church on earth. Do you remember what Jesus said to the church of Laodicea? Everybody remember that letter? Like these, um, I think this, this one comes out of Revelation chapter 3, and there's like report cards that go out, <laughs> you know, um, to seven churches, which is scary. Uh, to get. I wonder what ours would sound like um, if we were to get a report card today from Jesus. Uh, I, I would hope it would be mostly good, you know. Well, they were the last report card, and... I think it's the most popular one because you get these two phrases in there that, that we all remember, right? One of them is that, you know, because you are n- neither cold or hot, like I'm going to spew you out of my mouth, which is, so, which is also usually like misunderstood um, because um, what he's actually saying there is that if you're cold, that's good. You're useful. If you're hot, that's good. You're useful. Uh, but if you're lukewarm, there's not much use for you. Right, and, and, and the reason he did this, he pulled up this metaphor, this analogy, is not because he thought it would be cute, and he's like, oh, this is kind of clever. Um, it's because they, it actually spoke to their day-to-day lives, because these dudes did not have a water source in that town, and so they had to dig a canal five miles up the hillside to get water and run it down, and guess what that water temp was by the time it got into them? It was lukewarm. And so they were dealing every single day when they would go to get their water for stuff with not being able to have water that was immediately useful. You would either have to cool it down to be refreshed or to drink, or you would have to heat it up to cook and and to clean and to bathe and all that stuff, right? So they knew. When he said this, they're like, oh, like that stinks. Like we hate, we hate our water. You know what I mean? Not very useful. And then, of course, there's the second famous statement, which is, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and yes, I will enlighten you today, if any of you thought that that was an evangelistic invitation, it is not. Jesus is talking to the church when he says that, and this is a problem, because that church had gotten so well-to-do They had gotten so comfortable with what they were able to do for themselves and provide for themselves that Jesus was no longer a part of what they were doing. His gospel was no longer a part of what they were doing. So they they were super rich, so they they didn't need anything. And they used to make this ice. They were popular for this ice salve that used to go out all all across the the known world uh, that was supposed to, like, make your eyesight good. And so they had this really good eyesight, and they had you know, become um, um, uh, just done really well off the sales of that stuff. And they were clothed well because of the riches. And then we have Jesus outside the door, and he's knocking. And he's like, hey, is it, like, is it, cool, if I, is it cool if I come in? Would that be okay with you? Right? He says to them, you think that you are clothed, but you are naked. You think that you can see, but you are blind." You think that you are rich, but you are poor. So let me in. And he's not pleading. He's, he's not doing. It's not for his sake. You know what I mean? That they let him in. He's not out, he's not out there going like, come on, guys. Like, this kind of stinks. You know, the gig is up. 
party's over, like, like, you know, let me in. No, it's for their sake that they let him in because of what he's going to do to them if they don't. You know what I'm saying? Because they had become about things that don't matter. They had become about themselves, and they have started to call success and mission accomplished something that God disagrees with. Because the church is all about Christ and all about the gospel of Christ, both inside the walls as well as being taken by that church outside the walls. That's what it's all about. And we see this even, even here with that, with that church in Laodicea. They had become uh, intoxicated with unnecessary things while burying that which was necessary. It's all people, it's all about remaining focused on what it is that Christ is building, not what we are able to build. And some of what we're able to build is pretty impressive. It's pretty amazing when you look around at what we're accomplishing in ways. You know what I mean? But, but none of it compares to what he is building. And so um, in light of what we just heard, we'll just shut this down. I wasn't too bad. Um, what do you see in this room? This is what I see um, in this room in light of what I've just heard. I see a rescue party. I see a rescue party. Um, I see disaster relief. Um, I see the Red Cross. We are the Red Cross. We are the Red Cross. When we understand what's at the heart of evangelism, I think it helps us to know that we can participate in it because all evangelism really is is one beggar telling another beggar where the bread's at. You know what I'm saying? And I think that when you put it in those terms, I think we can all do something with that, right? And, of course, it is about a person and a work that was done by that person on our behalf. But this is, I think, where we'll move in the coming weeks with this, is what does that look like? What does that look like as a bunch of beggars who know how something in our stomach to show other beggars where the bread is at? I think we'll, we'll go that way for the next three weeks. So... Um, yeah, we should shut it down. Here's what, I want, here's what I want to make sure that we all walk away with today, grab onto. I want us to acknowledge as a local body, as the people of God, as Christ followers, right, disciples of Jesus, that there is a clear and preeminent mandate for the church on earth, and that is for us who are called out to call others out. Um, Today, approximately 350,000 people will pass into eternity. Will die. I wonder where they will go. It's not going to matter 100 years from now what car you drove. You know what I'm saying? It ain't going to matter what kind of shoes you preferred to wear. It's not going to matter how far you've traveled, what the most exotic place was you ever went on vacation. Or we can even go John Piper. It ain't going to matter how rad your seashell collection is. You know what I'm saying? It ain't going to matter how many fish you caught on the flies that you tied. 
it ain't gonna matter what your gun collection looks like. It ain't gonna matter where you went to school. It ain't gonna matter who you dated. It ain't gonna matter who you took to homecoming or who you took to prom. It ain't gonna matter who won the World Series in 2023 or the Super Bowl or the Stanley Cup. All that's gonna matter is who is where. And if that is true, if that is true, is there anything more important today for you to be about? It's just that simple. This is why we're here, people. I do not know why, but we are game changers. We are the ones who God has sent here into South County. No one else is coming. Christ has come. The work is done. Right? The letter's in the mail. Deliver it. It is all about us, and I know it's hard. I know it's a challenge, and I know that even South County is even more of a challenge sometimes because people move down here to be left alone, right? And so, like, um, especially the more you get to Lapine, like, I, I think it's the hardest mission. Glenn, I think this is the hardest mission field, is Lapine. Um, they, they load their shotgun and lock their door for good. That's why they move there. I don't know how to give that person Christ, but he does because he's got all authority. Am I willing? Am I intentional? Am I ready? Every single day, are you? This is why we exist. This is our purpose. And so I want to close simply by, by praying what Paul prayed at the end of those two letters. Can we do that? Lord, give us boldness to open our mouths and words to proclaim the mystery of the gospel to others, to our enemies even. Lord, open to us a door for the word that we may speak the gospel with words that are clear. And we ask it to your glory. Amen.